Welcome. Uh, as Daniel said, I'm Corey. Uh, you may not know me. I'm just a member here at Exchange. You may know my wife, Blair. We've got two daughters, Ruby Jane and Juniper. Um, I feel like Ruby knows more people here than, than <laughs> I do, let's be honest. Uh, she, she's right in line to be the door greeter probably next, next week when she turns five. Um, <clears throat> so uh, if you would, please open your Bibles, turn to Psalm 62. Uh, that's the psalm we'll be in today, the psalm that we sung this, this morning. Um, If you're a first-time guest today, we're excited to have you. Uh, This is a Sunday table, so we're actually going to have food behind these curtains after the service. Uh, If you didn't bring anything, that's fine. There's always plenty of food, so please stay, enjoy, fellowship. Um, Typically, we have the kiddos in here on a a fifth Sunday, so so I don't need to welcome them this morning, but I was planning on it, planning on making sure the sermon was fitting for, for our kiddos, but... The Lord has other plans, and they are being taught over there in our children's ministry, which is exciting. So let us read God's word. Psalm 62 says this. To the choir master, according to Jaduthan, a psalm of David. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Selah. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him all time, at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and I just ask, I ask, Lord, that you would fill our hearts. Fill our hearts with Jesus Comfort us, give us peace, joy, give us patience to wait. Lord, let us endure in long sufferings, Father. Strengthen our trust in you this morning through your word, through this song, through this song of praise. Strengthen us, strengthen this church. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I was telling some people that I was doing this psalm, Psalm 62, and uh, some friends of mine. And their response was all the same. You know, when you preach something, when you're in something for a long time, typically it becomes a friend. It becomes a close friend. Um, and one of the guys I talked to, I told him, he was like, oh, oh, 62, yeah. Yeah, that's a dear friend of mine. So no pressure, right? Um, just, just talking about people's friends here. Um, but, but in all honesty, this psalm has become a dear friend. And my prayer through my preparation is that this psalm would be a friend to you. And honestly, it's, it, I'm just a friend up here talking about my friend, about Jesus, and that's what we want to walk away. I want to introduce you to Jesus. He's my best friend. So let's do that this morning, shall we? So I've only got one point, 
one main point. It's a song. Um, I was talking to my wife, and she was like, yes, a song. It should be simple, easy, right? You shouldn't have a whole bunch of points. So just one point, uh, one main point. Only God and God alone is our refuge. Trust in him. Trust in him. Only God and God alone is our refuge. Trust in him. Why do I repeat myself? Well, the words only and alone occur in this psalm six times. The Hebrew word occurs six times in this psalm. Um, so it's emphatic. We see this over and over again. David here is making a very strong point by using this word. Now, you may not see it all in here. We see it refer to God four times. Once we, re- we see it referred to the enemy, and their only plan is to thrust him down. And then the last one's a little hidden. Um, you may have, if you have uh, the NIV, I believe, you, you'll see it there. But it says, surely these of low estate, of high positions or low positions, and they're only a breath, right? And so we see these things. So it's either it's only God and only these other things are, are nothing other than just vain hopes. So that's why only God and God alone. And that should build our trust in him. There's nothing else to trust in. So you have this, uh, this intro here before we get into verse one and two. To the choir master according to Jaduthan, a Psalm of David. So like I said, this is a Psalm of David, but he has given it to this choir master, Jaduthan. Um, what a fun name that is. <clears throat> And I had to look back and see what is Jaduthan, who is Jaduthan, um, and you see it, his life or his, his position, his, his ministry, he's a choir master, you see this in Chronicles, um, and in Chronicles it says that he's given, um, his choirs are given the songs of thanksgiving and steadfast love. And these songs, his choirs were supposed to stand at the temple gate and to sing these songs for all the people to hear, right? They use trumpets, they use cymbals, and so this is a song of Jaduth, and this is a song of steadfast love. And I rely heavily on David. He's the author here. So I rely heavily on David, his life, his life's experience to really supplement what we're going to be talking about this morning. So verses 1 and 2 and then 3 and 4, I have labeled these as um, the expectation versus the struggle, Right? Um, how many times we have the expectation of going on a vacation? It's summer, right? So we have this expectation that it's going to be awesome. It's going to be wonderful. We've done it before. Uh, everything's planned out. Nothing's going to stop us from going on this vacation. Nothing's going to thwart that, uh, that mission. I'm going to have fun. We're going to have fun no matter what, right? This is the expectation. Maybe you have fond memories, fond experiences, but you're going to do it. And it's going to, everybody's going to have a good time. But then you go, right? The actuality you go. And then all of a sudden, everything starts trying to ruin that plan, ruin your joy, ruin this whole idea. And your expectations may not be met that you had hoped for. But we see here this expectation in verse 1 and 2. David says, for God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. In the life of David, he was the youngest of eight sons, right? He's anointed king. Um, and even though he's anointed king, he goes to the temple. Saul's king at the time. And Saul gets jealous of David. And he doesn't like the idea that, he, that the Lord has removed his anointing on Saul and that it's on David. And so David has to flee. Saul wants to destroy David. And so we see David fleeing, living in caves, right? He's, he's in the wilderness 
always waiting on the Lord. Why is, why is Saul after me? I'm God's anointed. Multiple times he escapes. Multiple times he has the ability to take out Saul, but he relents and doesn't do it. And God always is his salvation. It brings him his deliverance, right? Goliath, the same thing. God, David goes and defeats Goliath. He defeats the Philistines. He has many, many victories. And so we can understand why David would have these statements to say, yes, God alone, my soul, I will wait. He's my salvation. He's my deliverance. He brings me out of these troubles, these dangers. He's my rock. He's always constant. My fortress, a place of defense for me to be in, I won't be shaken. When troubles come, I won't be shaken. I will stand firm, right? I will not be greatly shaken. But then you have the actuality, right? You have the struggle. You have these questions, three and four. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high place. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. These two words, how long? How long have, it, it, this has really made me pause as I was preparing for this. Those two words had just, they just stopped me in my tracks. How long, how long do I have to endure? How long do I have to wait? How long do I have to be in this situation? I'm trusting in you. I'm putting my faith in you. But how long, God? How long will the enemy attack me? The scholars don't, don't necessarily know exactly what time in David's life that he's referring to, um, but most speculate through the context here that David is referring to the time when Absalom is after him. So even after all that he's gone through with Saul and running away before he becomes king and he's anointed on the throne as king over all Israel at the age of 30, right? Later, his sons grow up and his son tries to take over the throne. And what happens, David has to leave the, the, um, the tabernacle. He has to leave his kingdom and go hide in the wilderness. He's gotta run for his life yet again. And Absalom is, he's convincing, he's winning over the hearts. He's a really handsome man, he's got long flowing locks and he's winning over the hearts of the people and they're all, going for Absalom, and only a few have stayed with David. And so you have to think, yeah, David would be asking these questions. How long? Not this again, right? How long am I going to have to endure all of this? This is my, my son, right? Um, God, you've given me this covenant that my throne would be established forever, why are my children after me, seeking to destroy me, seeking to kill me? How long will I have to keep on waiting and, and enduring these things? <clears throat> so we ask these questions. We ask these questions as believers, right? We, we have this, this idea of our expectation. We, we, we believe God. If you're a believer here today, you know that he's your salvation. You know that he's your fortress. He's your deliverance. You know these things. You trust in him. You say, I'm not going to be moved. I'm not going to be shaken. I'm going to stand firm in my knowledge and my love for God. But then these questions arise, right? How long? The enemy, he just keeps attacking, keeps attacking, keeps attacking. <clears throat> 
But he says, like a leaning wall, a tottering fence, right? They only plan to thrust me down. So they think his firm foundation is, is, is not firm, right? He's leaning. They're, they're trying to push him. And the only plan of the enemy is to knock him off, right? The only plan of the enemy is to, to bring him down from his high place. And that's the only plan of the enemy for us today. The only plan is to knock us from our gaze of Jesus, to knock us of our gaze of God, to not have a firm foundation, to not trust in him, to trust in other things, right? Um, we see this with, with, with Job. You know, Satan goes to God and say, well, the only reason he hasn't cursed you is because you ha- he has everything he needs. You take away these things and he will curse you, right? That is the plan, that he would curse God. That was the ultimate goal of Satan. It's the same thing in the garden, right? Adam and Eve, surely God did not say that you shouldn't eat of the fruit. They're taking his gaze, taking his trust, taking their gaze and trust off of God. But we wait, we wait, we wait. Waiting in silence, those are hard things to think about, right? It's a difficult thing to wait. Uh, nobody likes to wait, um, and especially awkwardly in silence, right? Um, now, I can sit in a tree stand for four hours and be totally content and totally fine and wait and just sit there, uh, but I know most people aren't like that. Um, but to wait in silence during this time of attacks, these times of struggle, right, are really, really difficult. And what does it mean to even wait in, in silence, right? Um, I think of like watching a movie and you're ready for the scene to come and you're like, shh, shh, don't, 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 I'm waiting for this to happen, right? Or maybe a bride walking down the aisle, everybody gets quiet and they're anticipating, you know, her coming down the aisle looking. There's nobody else, no distractions, just zeroed in and focused. Um, There's reasons people wait, right? You see uh, shows like Alone, uh, where contestants go, they're completely by themselves, they're in the wilderness. to survive for however long, but they do this so that they can win, what, half a million dollars. A lot of them will say, I need to find inner peace or I need to overcome my fears or I need to find myself again, right? So they separate themselves from distractions. I don't know if you guys have heard, but there's these things called darkness retreats. I think the football players are doing it these days, the NFL players. Um, Just a weird thing. I wouldn't ever be able to do it, but spend two to three days in a pitch black room Deprived of light and sensory distractions, just as a, a weird concept. I've pulled this off the internet. It's a place of inner discovery. Some people come face to face with fears and challenging thoughts. In fact, the practice is so healing in part because it helps you face your fears and move through them with grace. You may not be able to move through the room with grace, but your fears are fine, right? Uh, you may experience illuminating visions and a deep sense of peace. So I feel like our souls are longing for this, right? Our culture longs for this. We're longing to be able to find and to to have rest, to have peace, um, to get away from all the attacks of of, of the world. We're looking for these things. And I said this, even if you don't like waiting, the amount of time we are willing to wait is directly associated with the value of, of what we're waiting for, right? The amount of time we're willing to wait is directly associated with the value 
of what we're waiting for, right? And we, we, we hear this in the words of, of David. He is my salvation. He is my fortress, right? These are strong value statements that he says. But we see these attacks, and we're faced with these attacks. Even though we believe this to be true, we're faced, and we ask, how long? How long? And I think of these these people that I know, I think of times that I've, I've been in this place, and you ask these questions, right? How long will I have to deal with this physical pain, this anxiety, this depression? How long will I have to deal with this guilt, this shame? How long will I have to wait, just wait for answers, answers about a job, answers from a doctor, answers from a spouse, right? How long until my days are no more? right, and the fear of, of, of just death coming. We've all been there, and these are all attacks, attacks to get us off our firm foundation, to get our eyes off of the Lord. First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a warring lion, seeking someone to devour. John 10, 10 says this, the Thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. His only plan is to destroy us, to to remove our gaze, to remove this firm foundation that's under our feet. How is Satan trying to knock you down this morning? What is it that you're asking? How long? At the end of these these two stanzas, we see um, we have a selah, right? We have a pause, we have a reflection, a pause in the music, And I just want to take time and pause here to reflect where you're at, what is going on, how is the enemy attacking you, how is he coming after you this morning, what's heavy on your heart. There's a song that we sing regularly here at Exchange, and it makes me think of this. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. It is. This how long is what makes this this psalm a friend, right? It's what hooks us in. You could have the beginning part and it could be a great pump up song and say, yes, 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 I'm I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna stand strong. I'm gonna, you know, stand firm in my salvation. But it's just a pop song that goes by, right? Not a song that you're gonna put on repeat again and again and again. This brings that real raw emotion here along with that truth that we all experience. But let us not forget that this is a song for the choir master, Jaduthan, right? You can hear the trumpets, the cymbals kind of building in the background. This is a song of steadfast love, of God's steadfast love, right? So we get to verses five and six, and just like in Psalm nine, as Brian talked about, we hear David, and he says, for God alone my soul wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. 
On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. So even though he's having these questions, he's, he's struggling with this, right? He says, no, this is my resolution. I will stand firm. I will stand firm. He is my hope. There is nothing else to hope in. He is my salvation. Wait, wait, my soul. He demands his soul to wait. He no longer will be greatly shaken, but now he's resolved to stand firm. I will not be shaken. It says, on God rest my salvation, my deliverance, my, my overcoming these obstacles, and my glory. So when I do overcome, I can only give God the credit. And so he is a refuge. I don't really use that word often, refuge. <clears throat> um, I don't really know exactly all what it entails, honestly. I had to, admittedly, I had to go look it up, make sure I had it all figured out. But I was asking, because I've, I've, I've never needed a refuge. I've never needed a place, right? So a, re a refuge is a safe place from danger, from trouble, right? Where it supplies your needs. Uh, we watched a show about Anne Frank, and um, I thought of her, right? So that Anne Frank and her family, friends, were in an upper room, hidden behind a closet, um, for two years, and they relied solely on the workers of her father um, to keep their, their hiding places secret and to provide for their, their needs, right? That, that's a refuge, a safe place, and God is our refuge. He is that safe place where he provides everything that we need to make it through. Second Corinthians 4, 8 through 9 says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. You see, when we have this kind of resolve, we can go back and say, oh, how long? No longer is it how long will my enemies attack? It's how long are you going to waste your time trying to, to, to take me off of my rock? How long are you going to try to do this? It's going to come of nothing. It's all in vain that you try to knock me down. You have this resolution. I don't typically read the King James Version, but the King James Version of verse three says, how long will ye imagine mischief against a man? Ye shall be slain, all of you, as a bowing wall shall ye be, and as a tottering fence. So I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so translations, I'm not there, but I like this option at least, right? To say that our enemies are the tottering wall, they're the, the, the fence that's gonna fall. They're the leaning wall, the tottering fence, right? God is not a leaning wall or a tottering fence, but he is our cornerstone, right? He is our cornerstone of all creation, of this church, the church of the, all over the world and our faith. His name is Jesus and he overcomes our enemies. We see in 1 Peter, Peter says, so the honor of you who believe but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become a cornerstone, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. You see, Jesus became flesh. He lived among us. He understands our physical and our mental pain and grief. You can trust him with yours. Jesus fulfilled all of the law, which we couldn't do. And in every way, his death frees us from guilt and shame. He casts our sins as far as the east is from the west and into the depths of the sea. He remembers him no more, them no more. You can trust him with yours. During Jesus' life, he silenced the wind, the waves. He silenced demons. 
And he silenced Satan when he, rose from the, when he rose from the grave and declared victory over sin and death. You can trust him, even in death. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Spurgeon notes this in his treasury book of David in the first line of the psalm, be translated as, for God alone silences my soul, wait. Maybe you're here this morning and you're just so overwhelmed, he's like, I can't even wait. I don't even know how to stop and pause. You can trust him with that too. He can say, be still. So we have verse eight, trust in him at all times. This is the invitation, oh people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And that's my invitation today, trust. Trust in Jesus. Trust in him who overcomes who alone has all the power, all the authority. And we have a Selah after this. Pour out your heart. Will you? Will you pour your heart out to him? That is what trusting in a true friend is, is when you can go to somebody and you can just pour out your heart and you know that what you say, that they're gonna care for you, they're gonna hold those things and they're not gonna condemn you. Would you pour out your heart to him today? Tell him how you feel. Trust in him, maybe today, this morning, for the first time for your salvation. For those who believe, let him strengthen and renew your spirit to stand firm against the attacks of the enemy. Jesus, I pray that you would fill our hearts, supply us with the spirit, the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Fill us with these things. This invitation is not just an invitation to do something, but it's also an invitation from something, right? These vain hopes, these vain ambitions that we pursue. And we see this in 9 and 10. Those of lowest state are but a breath. Those of highest state are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion, set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart. On them. These are the vain hopes that we try to, to grasp onto. It says they're but a breath, they're vapor, right? This, you can almost hear Solomon hearing this song when he's writing Ecclesiastes, right? This is just a, vet, a, a breath, it's vanity. All these things that we pursue, that we try to put our hope in, without God, it's nothing. How often do we trust in our, our positions, whether high or low, right? Our status. In life, we say, well, because of my high position, I should be this. Or maybe because I'm down here, I should, I should deserve this. Or maybe my, my possessions. Maybe it's your possessions that you hold on tightly to. You're trusting in these things. Whether by ill gain and evil gain, extortion, robbery, you're collecting riches for yourself. Or even if your riches just increase. And because of that, you trust in them over God. Let your heart not be set on our possessions, on our positions. I'm reminded of Proverbs 38 and 9. <laughs> when I was in college, I thought I would, I, would, I would praise this and it would be awesome. I didn't have any money. Um, and now I look back and I'm like, Lord, answer this and maybe I shouldn't have prayed it. <laughs> uh, but it says this, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches 
Feed me with food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and still and profane the name of God, right? So on either side, high or low, riches or poverty, both of those positions, we can fail to see God. Trust in him to give you exactly what you need. He's been faithful to do that in my life, and it is a daily struggle to remind myself to get exactly what I need from him. And then we have the conclusion, verses 11 and 12. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. There's that, there's that phrase. For you were rendered to a man according to his work. This phrase that we have in 11 and 12, once God has spoken, twice I have heard this. It's a, it's a, it's a phrase, a Hebrew phrase that they would use for certainty, for surety. It's, it's true. It's tested. God only has to speak once, right? He's unchanging. He's immovable. He's always there. He just has to speak it once, and it's truth because it comes from God. The twice I've heard is that I'm just reminded of this over and over and over again, right? And that is power belongs to God. All power belongs to God. Power does not belong to us. As much as we wanna take it, as much as we wanna control our outcomes, our circumstances, all power belongs to him. But sometimes we lose sight of that, don't we? In times of trouble in times of, of attacks from the enemy. So that's where the second point is really awesome and very encouraging. That all, that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. So he's always there. God is waiting on us to trust in him as we wait on him to deliver us. His steadfast love, all steadfast love belongs to him. You can trust that this morning. If you feel like you've wandered, you've gone astray, you can trust that you'll be received with steadfast love. Not with judgment, not with condemnation, but with love. For he ends with this last phrase in verse 12. For you will render to a man according to his work. And I just want to keep this as simple as possible for us this morning. The simplest way it is, is it's faith. At the end of our life, those who are trusted in Jesus will inherit eternal life. Those who have, trusted in, who have not trusted in Jesus, there will be judgment. The Apostle Paul uses this, this verse in Romans chapter 2, verse 6 and 8. He will render to each one according to his works to those who by patient and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. So in closing, that, that is my invitation that you would just trust, trust in God as a refuge to supply your every need pour out your heart. Just give him all your cares, all your worries. He is a friend who cares. He will be there for you. He will supply every need. He is our refuge. 
Would you trust in him today? Would you let him strengthen you? I'm gonna be in the back. I'm actually on the prayer team's prayer partners this morning. Um, there'll be others back there. And if you feel like you need prayer, you need help, uh, we would love to pray with you. Dear God, we just come to you this morning and I ask that you would, you would fill our hearts, that we would pour out all the things that are weighing us down, that you, we would pour out all our worries and our troubles to you. We may not have clarity or certainty or we not, may not know how long we will be waiting but we know that we are waiting on you and all power belongs to you. There's nothing else for you and you alone are our refuge. Strengthen us, let us trust in you. Amen.